welcome to The Clutter Queen. Here I talk about all things that make up the disability world and in short, make us different, unique, or beautifully weird. Here we embrace all of what makes us, us. Hello everyone, welcome back to The Clutter Queen. We are officially closing out our last season. Well, sorry, our first season, um, not our last season. Um, and I cannot believe it's already been eight episodes. Like it feels like it's been three and you know, I'm like done apologizing for, you know, having like little breaks in between because podcasting is hard. Like this is not easy. So if you're looking to get into podcasting, definitely do it. I support you hundred percent. Um, but I will say it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, and I just want to also proceed by saying Podmatch is a great site to go into in terms of trying to find people to be on your show if you are a podcaster or in terms of like if you're a person who has no podcast but would love to just be an interviewee and you know want to share a certain story about whatever you want it to be. So I actually met my last guest for season one on podmatch.com. Her name is Maggie Kelly. Maggie is a writer who focuses on mental health and personal development. After a seventh grade course in biology, she became fascinated with genetics and what shapes a human. She decided to learn all about the human psyche and obtain her BS in psychology. Maggie has struggled with depression since her young teens. Her life trajectory changed after having a psychotic break and hitting rock bottom at age 26. Following a three-month stint in the mental hospital, she found the help she needed. It inspired her first book, Recovering from Depression. When not writing, you can find her singing and playing the guitar with her cats. All right, guys, I cannot wait for you guys to hear Maggie and I's interview, so stay tuned. Hello, everyone. I have with me today Maggie Kelly. We met on a site called podmatch.com. And it's a site basically for anyone who's a podcaster and wants to interview people or looking for guests um, to be on their show or vice versa. If you want to be interviewed on a podcast, talking about any kind of experience that you want, it's a really, really good resource for podcasters and interviewees and interviewers. And I met uh, Maggie on the show. Um, so Maggie will introduce herself and say a little bit about her, her hobbies, where she's from, and just any cool things that she wants us to know about. So go ahead, Maggie. Thanks, Mom. I'm Maggie. Um, it's great to be here today. I am from South Carolina, and I graduated from Coastal Carolina University with a degree in psychology. I've been writing online for a little over a year now, and I recently released my first book, which I'm really excited about. Um, other than that, uh, I spend a lot of time with my cat playing ukulele and knitting. That is amazing. I am not a big fan of cats, and I know that that sounds like kind of evil, but like I'm a dog person. Like I have a dog at home, just pitbull boxer, uh, pitbull boxer mix, and she, she turns actually ten this year in April. So it's only I have had her for like the past ten years, and she's a great dog. Um, but anyway, Maggie. So, so I didn't know you majored in college. You said in psychology. Yes. Okay, and that's a study of that's study the brain. I'm assuming and studying like how the brain works. Is it like a therapy career field? I'm guessing. Yeah. So, uh, 
psychology is basically studying like the person's personality and like how we came into being ourselves. Okay, that's so cool. So, you know, me, you discussed earlier before the podcast about, you know, your struggles with depression and everything. And I just find it really interesting how you studied psychology and college, and then you also have your own like um, challenges with mental health. So, can you kind of talk about um, what depression is in your experience and how you were diagnosed with depression? So I've been dealing with depression since I was about 13. It's had a lot of highs and lows. Um, It got really bad in high school when I was first diagnosed with depression. And then I had another really bad spell in college. Um, It was so bad that I failed like a whole semester of classes and had to drop out for a semester. But after that, I was able to get back in college. I looked at the credits I had and said, oh, I'm close to psychology major. So I picked that and and I got out of college. But more recently, I had a really bad spell with depression when I had a psychotic break and ended up in the mental hospital. Mm. Okay, so psychotic breaks, I'm not familiar with those. I have no idea what that is or what that means. So can you kind of explain what a psychotic break is? So it's kind of like a complete detachment from reality and your conscious mind. I had no idea what I was doing or I was saying. I did things that I have zero recollection of, and my family will tell you like the crazy things I did that I just have no clue about. So it's like you kind of you kind of like just black out from reality, basically. Like it's like um, I think of it as with my experience, like it's kind of embarrassing. But when I used to like drink, and I would like sometimes black out from drinking too much. Like I don't remember what I did or what I said, and it can be very scary the next day. Like you know, you don't know what happened, but all these things did occur. So is it kind of like that? You just black out from like what's going on around you? Yeah, it was kind of like a just complete blackout from consciousness. Wow. So that had, that, that lasted how long? I honestly don't know. Um, I was having a weird three-day period where I didn't really sleep. And then the next thing I knew, I woke up in a hospital. And I had no idea how much time had passed. Nobody could really tell me what happened, just that I had had a psychotic episode. And that was a really scary thing to hear because, like, it just happened out of nowhere. Wow. Okay. So I'm trying to process what you just said. I feel like that is, like, a very traumatic experience to go through. Um, I just can't think of a time in my life besides when I was an alcoholic or drinking too much that I blacked out. So just knowing that that can happen from, you know, spells of mental health is, like, really, like, eye-opening. So I know that you were mentioning earlier that you were in a mental hospital for a little bit, for about three months. And so you were there because of your depression. Is that correct? Yeah. So once I had my blackout and episode of psychosis, my mom rushed me to the hospital and I was admitted inpatient um, to the mental ward and I woke up there a few days later and 
Sorry, I just completely forgot what it's okay. I was saying. It's okay. It takes time. Uh, talking about you, um, have your mommy, your mom put you in the hospital for a little bit because you had your psychotic break, and talking about um, why you were in the hospital, basically. Yeah. So I was in the hospital from that psychosis, and then I was stuck in that psychosis for a really long time. Like, I came back into conscious awareness, so I, like, had an idea of what I was saying and doing, but I was still saying really bizarre things. Mm. Like, I was saying, climb into the hole with me. And I had this loop going that I would just start on. And you could start me, like, you could try and stop me, but I would just keep going on it to, like, looping the same weird spiel of sentences over and over. Mm -hmm. And I just kept repeating it, and I could not break out of it. So eventually, after four stays in the mental hospital, I finally got ECT, which is electroconvulsive therapy. A lot of people know it as shock therapy. And so I underwent 24 treatments of that, and I was finally able to break out of that loop and like get back to who I was as a person. So it's called ECT therapy, electroconvulsion. What's the last part? Therapy, basically. Yeah. Okay, so that's like shocks to your brain. Mhm. So do what you... they do is they put electrodes on your brain and then they put you under and induce mini seizures in your brain to help kind of uh, reconnect the wires. And all the time you're asleep and you're paralyzed. So your body doesn't move, but it's just happening to your brain. So how many of these did you have? 24. 24 of these? So 24? Yeah, three times a week to Charleston. And it was always so early in the morning. We had to drive down two hours and then I would go into the hospital. They would run me through the procedure and then I did that for like two months. Oh my gosh. So, oh, okay, sorry. I'm like in shock right now because I've, I've only seen ECT, um, like shock therapy, like on TV. Like I've only seen it like in uh, movies or shows like American Horror Story where like they have like, these like, like, you know, asylums from like the 60s and people are in these doing these ECT therapies where like everyone's awake during it and like the person's like in so much pain. So that's what I imagine with you. But in your scenario, you were obviously asleep, which is good. And I'm just thinking like 24 times. So um, how long is the actual ECT shock done to you like in one session? Uh, one session is normally about 30 minutes okay. and then they would just go through a series of the, like many like each different seizure to activate and retrace the neural pathways okay so the ect from what i'm like understanding it's like it's meant to basically like reconnect your brain like the parts that were like i guess kind of off it's hard to like it's, it's supposed to mend them back together basically yeah, for me, it was a huge game changer in my recovery. Wow. So um, so you loved it. Okay, so great. So after the 24 sessions were done, you did, did you feel like immediate results or did it take a while for you to get, get back to like quote unquote normal? It took me a while to get back to normal. 
every few sessions my doctor would come in and do a analysis of where I was at and ask me like hey are you feeling any depression and about a little over halfway through the series I said I don't really feel depressed anymore like I didn't feel that insane heaviness that you get with depression right so that was gone but I still felt like very listless and like not a lot of energy so it took getting on the right like a few months after getting on the right meds and like talk therapy that the meds start to work and I start to regain my energy. Okay. Okay. So it was like basically um, different variations of things that helped you recover. So like the shock therapy and then like the medication and like the doctor and therapy as well. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a, wow. That's an interesting story. Um, I interviewed a person. I want to say like, a few months ago and she was had bipolar depression and her um depression story was basically she was um suffering from like extreme highs and then extreme lows and they were like very sporadic here and there but what she said that helped her the most was therapy as well and also just talking about it and trying to get like awareness of what depression was because she was saying so many people stigmatize depression and they make it to this thing where like oh you're just lazy or oh you know you're not trying hard enough to get up out of bed get out of bed bed out every, every day or just having like an excuse for why she was always down and i want to ask you the question of do you think there were any stigmas around your experience of depression and if so what what were they yeah there's a lot of stigma around depression like like you said, people have this idea that people are just lazy or don't want to get out of bed, but it's so much more than that. And that's like more of an extreme case, but people are walking around every day with depression, going about their lives and dealing with it. You just don't see it because depression doesn't have a look. Mm-hmm. And for me, like I've always been very vocal about my like emotional states um, and writing has been a huge part of that process, like to be therapeutic and help me process those things. So I'm lucky that my family has been supportive of me, but I know so many people like misunderstand it all the time and will say stupid things, not necessarily meaning it, yeah exactly exactly yeah that's so true i think also it's like i feel bad because i have a lot of kids i I teach art art classes after school sometimes and i used to have a lot of kids who would you know be depressed or anxious and they just had no idea like what to do because they didn't have support resources to go to to find help for like their mental for their mental health and like you know I feel like a lot of schools I'm not really sure but I feel like a lot of schools probably aren't teaching these things to kids either in terms of like talking about mental health or talking about depression and talking about how it's common it's not something to be ashamed of but I think that people are just so in the dark about these conversations that that need to be had that they just aren't being talked about and then it makes I feel like the depression or anxiety worse in a way um so speaking of society so do you think that society is doing a, a good job or doing, I guess, their best in terms of trying to help people with depression or mental health problems at all? I think that we need to employ more empathy with people 
and allow people to explore like the full range of being a human because humans are dynamic beings and you're not going to be happy all the time mm-hmm. and with the stigma of depression and mental health like you're supposed to look strong all the time you're supposed to put on a certain front and so the hope is that, that we can open a conversation about it and the more we talk about it the more we destigmatize it, the more people can come out to and like not feel so alone in it. Yes, I think what you said is a hundred hundred percent correct. Um, I think that there is this issue of like trying to look a certain way. Because society has these rules about how you should look, you know, just physically, like, you know, you should be thin, you should be, you know, have straight hair, you should have this color skin tone, all these things. And it's just like we neglect the inner parts in terms of like our mental health and our inner well-being. It's just neglected because we're so worried about the outside appearance all the time. And I've learned this year how to be more vulnerable. I think for me, like my family and I, like we don't really, like we discuss like, of course, things in the news or things happening, you know, locally. But um, in terms of inner like feelings or inner emotions, we don't discuss it as much as I think we should. But I know that like when I have my future family and children, I want to discuss with them mental health and discuss things that, you know, so many people are so scared to be vulnerable about. And so I really appreciate you for being so open about, you know, your mental challenges and also that it's okay to not always look so strong like it's okay to cry like I only cried once this year but I want to cry more I just I just need to learn to like let go sometimes you know um yeah just have a good cry occasionally yeah and like after you cry you just feel so good too like I actually enjoy crying now I only cried once but I want to cry more um so I know that we discussed earlier before the podcast that uh your time in the mental hospital wasn't the best. And so can you kind of tell us about little things that you saw or observed while you were in the mental hospital that were like negative? So the nurses in the mental hospital often just thought I was seeking attention. And so they kind of like, and they see so many people coming in and out all the time. Like they described it as a rotating door system where people just to come in, they get on medication, and then they get booted out. And they never actually get treated for or the help that they actually need. So it's a lot like that. Um, I saw so many different doctors, and I was on so many different medications that I never had enough time for me to like even figure out if it was working my body before another doctor came in and changed it. So it was really frustrating to go through that process. Yeah. Um, it's kind of this scenario with me where I, I was in therapy too for um, anxiety. I had social anxiety problems. And, you know, when I, my first my first therapy session, like my therapist offered me to be on Xanax. And I was like, what? <laughs> like... It's like, oh, this is like quick for me to just like hop on Xanax. I was like, well, can we try out like other holistic ideas like, you know, meditation or like, because I, you know, before I went to therapy, I did a lot of research on anxiety and what it was. And I saw all these things about, you know, how you can heal yourself holistically in terms of like writing and journaling and talking about it. And also with doing like meditation, exercise and what you eat and sleep. But she never once offered me any of these options. It was like Xanax person. That was it. And I was like 
this is weird. Like, a lot of people just want their medication at the problem, and, like, that'll be the fix. Right. Like, doctors haven't really included this holistic idea of helping to our mental health equation yet. And it's because they make so much money off of it, which is really disappointing. Yeah. It definitely is. And I don't want to go on all spiel about, you know, doctors and, you know, how bad they are. Because, you know, they are, there are good people out there who are trying their best with, like, providing holistic, you know, options and not just medication. But I do think America's an issue with, um, with you know, not, like I said earlier, like, not curing people. We're just, like, treating the symptoms. And it's, like, when you keep masking and masking symptoms and not really discussing and getting to the root of the problem... It's just like the problem is still there. It's just like the symptoms, you know, the headaches or, you know, the, you know, not sleeping well might get a little bit better, but you're still feeling that feeling of depression or anxiety. And it just like, it's, it's still stuck, you know? Um, so I want to ask you the question of how can mental hospitals do a better job with patients who are seeking help for mental challenges or other challenges? So the hard thing about mental hospitals is that they do see so many different people. And because of that, like you don't really get a lot of individual attention. You kind of just get treated as a number in it. Um, When I was in one of the hospitals, I was supposed to see a psychologist, but it was December. So it was Christmas and everybody was out on holiday or out doing things. So the psychologist never even came in to see me. Like they were out. Um, so, side note, Christmas is a terrible time to get sick. Right. <laughs> um, but it's just that kind of hands-off approach where the inpatients need more help. And, like, how I said that, um, like, I knew I needed help, but I wasn't getting the help I needed. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Holidays, the first time I go to the hospital, like Christmas, New Year's Eve, like I try and stay away from hospital as much as I can because the shits are always so crowded, always so busy. Like I can't imagine having a baby like during the holidays. That just sounds like terrible. (laughs) But anyway, I have learned so much from talking to you today. Like I had no idea about ECT, electroconvulsion shock therapy. And what I did know about it was from TV and I was obviously wrong. Um, So it was really cool, like trying to, well, hearing you talk about what ECT was in your experience. And also, I agree with you. I think that mental hospitals, they see so many people because so many people need attention and need help and they just aren't being taken seriously the way they should be. You know, even regular hospitals, like I was ever at the hospital for a little bit. I was a nutrition aide and I would see so many people all the time and I would see so many nurses just overworked and tired and underpaid. And so they just kind of like lack that empathy because they're just so tired. So, you know, I completely agree with you that with the hospitals, they need just more staff, um, more empathy and more understanding. Um, we're going to close out here soon. But did you want to end with anything special to say to us, to the listeners today? Just want to say that I'm really glad that I got to be on here with you. And if you're interested, you can check out my book, Recovering for Depression, on Amazon. Um, and I had a great time talking to you. I had a great time too. And do you have any like social media handles like Instagram or Twitter or anything like that or Facebook? 
Yes, you can follow me at all social media at Maggie P. Kelly. Maggie P. Kelly. Okay, good to know. Well, Maggie, thanks for being with us today. I'm going to close out and yeah, have a great week.